0: I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. You'll never have a problem for your life, ever. You'll never drift off to sleep on the wings of this thought, oh my, today came and went with no problems in the world. This headline will never appear in the paper. We have only good news to report. You might be elected as president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. You might be called out of the stands to pinch hit when your team is down to its final out-of-the-world series, hit a home run, and have your face appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's not likely, but it is possible. But a problem-free, no hassle, blue-sky existence of smooth sailing? Uh-uh. Don't hold your breath. Problems happen. They happen to rich people, sexy people, educated people, sophisticated people. They happen to retired people, single people, spiritual people, and secular people. But not all people see problems the same way. Some people are overcome by problems. Others overcome problems. Some people are left bitter. Others are left better. Some people face their challenges with fear. Others with faith. You don't have a choice about having problems, but you do have a choice about what you do with them. Choose faith. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair offers advice that will help us choose faith in answer to the challenge of any problem. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your invaluable advice encourages faith in answer to life's overwhelming problems and challenges, the expected and the unexpected, whatever happens in our everyday life. How are you?
1: I do all that?
0: Yes, you do. Oh, my. And and more.
1: High expectations.
0: Let me begin by asking you something that, that is on the mind of so many, so many priests. We lost a brother priest at the age of 48 last week. The entire Archdiocese was shocked by the untimely death of Father John Labornia. While our brother priests are, are very much saddened by this passing, so are so many parishioners. And I know that he was your secretary for a period of time. So I'd like to ask you if if you have a few words to say about this.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the loss of anyone, the death of anyone is a cause of sorrow to many people, and um, certainly in the loss of any priest, especially in this day and age when we are so dependent on fewer and fewer numbers of priests, and it's understandable that um, priests, when they reach a certain age, uh, we all pass from this world, I I had two funerals uh, just in the last several days for uh, Father uh, Vala and Father Carter, who died, you know, after they were retired and we mourned their passing. They were very dear priests. They were, the funerals were attended by a lot of people. I remember them fondly for, for their priestly life. But then we were all shocked, having celebrated those two funerals for senior priests, that Father Lavornia was taken from us uh, by a massive uh, heart attack. Mm. you know, that that is very hard. And Father Livornia especially was well known to many, many people and dear to many people. He served in many capacities in the archdiocese. For a time, I think before his ordination, he even worked for the Knights of Columbus. He was, as you say, my secretary. So I got to know him very well, uh, him living in the house. And he was a very gregarious person who uh, uh, was filled with enthusiasm and good humor and you know it's it's I always laugh, you know, Father Lavorna, uh, who was very Italian. He spoke Italian uh, very well. He even worked for a time, I think, in in New York for uh, one of the Italian organizations. But I used to say that he was the one priest whenever we were driving around the archdiocese. He knew every Italian restaurant in the Archdiocese <laughs> of Hartford, who the owners were and what the food was like. But that's the kind of person he was. He was very jovial, very friendly, very outgoing with an infectious laugh. And so we miss him uh, dearly. And I know that his funeral will have brought forth a huge outpouring. I'm told that now we're recording this uh, a little bit before the funeral, but I'm told that uh, 80 priests plan on coming, which is, uh, you know, fantastic, considerable. So um, again, why am I saying this? Well, for our listeners uh, to just say how much uh, we need to pray for priestly vocations uh, in our archdiocese, and how much we need to appreciate not only our priests but everyone, even in the prime of life, because sometimes they can be taken from us uh, when we least expect. And we need to uh, we need to appreciate the role that people play in our lives, their importance for us and for the church, for society, for our well-being. And we need to be uh, kind to one another. And also, it's an occasion for me to say, as always, that we need to pray for those who have died. We need to commend them, body and soul to the mercy of God. Uh, Praying uh, and remembering the dead and praying for them at Mass, offering Masses for them, is a huge part of Catholic piety through the ages. And indeed, it's part of piety for many religions and many people. Today, we find that there's a kind of disregard for that and even a kind of... um, you know, desire to just be, to have people obliterated somehow, uh, even their, their, their remains. But uh, we have to be respectful and mindful and prayerful.
0: So true, Archbishop. Nobody knows how much time we have, and we're told we should live every day to its fullest. And taking into consideration the people around us and the love that we have with them, because we never know when today will be our last day. Archbishop, speaking of last days and speaking the sobriety of those kinds of thoughts, Tuesday is the last day of ordinary time. It's called Fat Tuesday, day before Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent, a time of fasting and repentance. It's also known as Mardi Gras Day or Shrove Day. The original intent of Mardi Gras has always been to indulge within reason, the last day before the start of the Lenten season. While I take it you're not heading down to New Orleans this week, what are you doing to celebrate Mardi Gras? Anything?
1: Well, let me just make a serious comment first. that It doesn't seem to me that that, uh, all the celebration the day before Lent makes much sense uh, and has no reason, really, if you don't intend to follow the discipline of Lent. In other words, yeah. it's a celebration. The fa- uh, It's not the fast before the feast. It's the opposite. It's the feast before the fast. So, again, these things that come from uh, centuries of uh, Christian piety, and particularly Catholic piety, they're robbed of their meaning when we don't get to the spiritual core of what they're about. And I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, dour about Mardi Gras. I'm simply saying, though, that it really, to understand it properly and to really live it, it's the feast before the fast. That to, the, the important thing is the observance of Lent, where we discipline ourselves because everything in life that's of any value requires a certain discipline. And why do we think that living a life of virtue and uh, living a life of, uh, of self-giving and charity, uh, how do we think that that can happen except by a certain self-denial and a self- discipline, and that is what Lent is about. So enjoy Mardi Gras as a festive thing, but but do it in the right spirit for preparing for Lent.
0: And the next day, obviously, is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of one of the most important holy seasons in the liturgical calendar, marking the beginning of Lent, lasting for 40 weekdays and six Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday. During Mass, people will receive ashes on their foreheads, I think that it, it calls for a reminder as to what the significance of ashes is all about, Archbishop.
1: Well, one of the things we say when we impose ashes is, uh, remember that, man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the other uh, uh, sign uh, signage is, um, uh, repent and believe in the gospel. You know, this is a, extremely important to emphasize in our spiritual life. And, you know, recently... Bishop Barron, who's very well known as a writer and speaker about spiritual themes and a re- renewal of the faith, he was pointing out that you know some people are portraying the synodal process that we have, that Pope Francis has called for, uh, that uh, about welcome, and he said, yes, of course, this is very important uh, that we we welcome everyone, but he said we have to remember uh, that Jesus. Uh, in the Gospel, when he ate with tax collectors and sinners and invited people and preached to them, he didn't say welcome, he said repent. And that is Mm -hmm. to say that he, he welcomed them, but the message in welcoming them was not just that everybody should be just the way they are, but he calls each and every one of us to repentance. And, of course, repentance, the call to repentance can take a very nasty, judgmental kind of harsh tone to it, or it can take a welcoming tone to it. And I think what Pope Francis is asking us to do, and what we need to do, is to welcome people to join us in repenting, uh, turning our lives around as Lent calls us to do, and to struggle every day to try to live the truth of the Gospel. That does not put us on a pedestal to look down on other people, because all of us need repentance as much as anyone else. So it's a, it's a, a, a united effort to be together, to be in communion with Christ and to try every day to repent and that is the call of lent i mean we're supposed to be doing it all the time but lent is an intense season of preparation for us to be focused on that
0: now traditionally uh, lent has meant for many people that it's a time of giving up something that it, they particularly like the part of the the repentance factor and the doing penance factor is to give up something that you like how else might one observe this Lenten season, Archbishop?
1: Well, first of all, uh, let me say about that, that it's not about, um, how can I say it? It's it's not d- denying yourself for the sake of denying yourself. Learning how to say no is very important if we're going to grow in virtue, because we are all weak and sinful. So it's kind of a self-discipline. Jesus says, whoever loves in little things will love in greater. Well, whoever is disciplined enough to say no in little things will also be self-disciplined enough to say no to bigger more serious things and that is a training of our will that we can't just we shouldn't indulge everything that we want or that we're used to or that we'd like because some of the things that come across our path are sinful they're they're not virtuous mm-hmm. and if we don't know how to say no if we don't train ourselves to say no we won't be able to do so so that's the importance of giving something up. It's not about food or candy or whatever in its own for its own sake, but it's about uh training ourselves. Discipline it's the discipline of Lent is what it's about. And of course the other things, well you ask me what other things are there? Well, there's also charity, which is extremely important as part of uh of Lent, where we uh extend ourselves to do something extra, go out of our way and also the discipline of prayer, because, you know, there too, we can make a million excuses for why we don't pray more. And Lent is a season for us to to kind of take stock and call ourselves to account and say, look, I really need to, to not just say that I need to pray more, but that I actually make time to pray more. So it's very challenging, you know, the three things of fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Those are the three pillars, if you will, of Lent, and they're all equally important.
0: And I'm sure during the course of Lent we'll be talking more about each of these pillars and having you encourage us because I think that that's what we need from time to time. We need to be encouraged, especially if somebody is going to embark on a path of of going out of his or her way to be charitable and to do something nice. And they may feel, "I'm, I'm doing this and I'm not sure whether... I'm becoming a better person. Maybe we need a, a cheerleader, somebody to encourage us, push us forward, so that we continue during the entire season of Lent to be charitable and then beyond. Because once we start on path of charity, I think it it's, gets a little bit easier to continue charity beyond Lent, don't you think?
1: Yes. Well, St. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. It's not just about encouragement, but about challenge, Mm -hmm. that we have to be challenged. If we say we are something, then somebody's got to tell us, well, then show it to me that you really are. And uh, I'm not saying that I do that for people because I need to hear it too. But the church is saying that to us. The church is challenging us to fight the good fight, to run the race, and to, to, to keep the faith. And that involves the discipline of Lent. It involves... Turning away from sin and believing in the gospel. And why? Because we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And we will then have made of ourselves what we are either by accepting God's grace and the opportunities we had, or spurning them, or failing to make use of them.
0: Well, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life. And this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis drawn from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you, Archbishop, for your comment. This is taken from Pope Francis' homily delivered on November 2nd of 2016 and is called, Your Fulfillment Will Be in God. The Pope says, Job was in darkness. He was right at death's door. And at that moment of anguish, pain, and suffering, Job proclaimed hope. I know that my vindicator lives and that he will at last stand forth upon the dust. My own eyes, not another's, will behold him. A cemetery is sad because it reminds us of our loved ones who have passed on. It also makes us think of our future, of our own death. But in this sadness, we bring flowers as a sign of hope and also, I might say, of celebration. But for later on, not now, our sorrow and our hope mingle. We feel sorrow at the memory of our loved ones before there remains and also hope. Our hope helps us because we, too, are must make this journey. Everyone will make this journey. Sooner or later, with or without pain, everyone will make this journey. But there is always that flower of hope, that powerful thread that is anchored in the hereafter, the hope of resurrection. Jesus was the first to make this journey. We are following the journey that he made. I know that my vindicator lives and that he will at last stand forth upon the dust. I will see for myself my own eyes, not another's will behold him. Archbishop the Pope has a way of seeing hope beyond the grave. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I think, uh, I don't know what prompted you to pick that particular passage from Pope Francis, but certainly it uh, fits very fittingly, very beautifully with uh, the reflection with which we, we began this program, namely uh, commenting on the sad loss of one of our younger priests, Father Livornia, and as well as some of our retired priests that I've mm-hmm. buried recently, uh, father valla and father carter and uh, yes that says it all that we are we are not hopeless people but we are people who are saddened by not seeing our colleagues and friends and loved ones when they pass from this world but knowing in faith that we shall see them again and that we have to live in such a way and again here now we're talking also about the theme of lent that if we if we live as jesus taught us if we repent Repent and believe, as as Jesus said when he started his ministry, if we're willing to repent and believe and in our life uh, really follow the right path and accept the graces of God that are given to us by our baptism and by all the gifts of grace we're being given, if we do that, then we shall see our vindicator. We shall see uh, the risen Christ, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we will see those who have gone before us in faith. So that's, that's the, the great encouragement that we have, and not just encouragement, but it has to be the absolute conviction we have. I feel very badly about people today who are so, I don't know, they're so lost, and they, they, they really they, they don't seem to think much about eternity. I think they, they have some benign, vague idea about it, if, if anything. And St. Paul says, if we live for this world only, then we are the most pitiable of people. And I think there are a lot of people today that are tempted to live for this world only, but we don't. Our hope is in heaven, and uh, that, that is what we, we strive to do by living as Christ taught us here on this earth.
0: What a wonderful way when we think about our loved ones, the priests who have died, our loved ones who are deceased, and reflect on the fact that the, the Pope says Jesus was the first to make this journey. We are following the journey that he made. Beautiful statement. It helps. Archbishop, let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 19th day of February. And today's reading is from Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter, after the Gospel is dramatically presented.
2: We'll talk with you about your thoughts. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to him who begs from you, and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Archbishop, what are your thoughts on this gospel?
1: Well, it can be very off-putting when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, because we might think, wow, that's impossible. How can I be perfect like God is perfect? Hmm. But you have to understand that Jesus says we must be striving to uh, live as God would have us live, because God God brings healing, justice, and life to everything that seems contrary to that in this world. And uh, the way that we show our faith in the fact that God can do these things is that we, we don't live by the temptations of this world, but we live by the world to come. If I, If I believe that God is waiting for me at the end of my life, that, that this world is a preparation for a life to come, then I can afford to offer no resistance to one as evil or to turn the other cheek or to give my cloak as well as my tunic or to walk a couple miles instead of one, to pray for those who persecute me. Uh, I can do all of those things because I know that in the end, the last word and the final judgment belongs to the one who is all-merciful, all-good, and all-loving. That is a tremendous act of faith. It's also a tremendous act of repentance, of uh, turning away from sin, trying every day with God's grace, because my temptation in my fallen state is to do the exact opposite of what Jesus says. So it's a radical demand that the gospel makes of us, and none of us does it perfectly. In fact, we struggle to try to do it. But that's the point, that we we do struggle. We try to put on the new man, as St. Paul says, the new person that comes from the grace of God, not from our fallen human nature.
0: It is certainly a struggle to offer no resistance when somebody does evil to you. It's a struggle to, uh, when somebody demands your tunic, to give them your cloak as well. It's a struggle to do all of this. It's a struggle to love those that don't love us. But how would you say... What's the key to perfecting our love so that we do approach day by day a little bit more closely the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to?
1: Well, it's a striving. And again, we're recalling the same themes that we spoke of a moment ago. I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. All of these things are, are very difficult to do. But grace makes it, the divine grace makes it possible to do what weak human nature cannot do. And that, that, you know, being a saint means living a life of heroic virtue. You know, it's easy to be virtuous when everything is going our way. But heroic virtue means that we live a life of virtue when it's not easy. And we have the model of Christ who was rejected and uh, spat upon and beaten and crucified. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the radical demand of the gospel. We have to be careful that we don't use that kind of uh, extreme example to to uh, exonerate ourselves, because we because we're not being asked to do that extreme kind of thing. Most from you know the majority of us, we're asked to to suffer little crosses, little rebuffs, little insults, little rebukes, little uh, injustices. I mean, little by comparison to to Christ or to those who have it worse than ourselves. So, the point is that that even in, in those things we, we imitate Christ. You know, I, we meet people. they say every day, "Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, those who trespass against us." Then they go home and say, "I could never forgive so-and-so <laughs> for what he or she did to me." Mm-hmm. You know, well, okay, you're out of your own mouth. you are condemning yourself. Now you may find it very hard to forgive, but if you just say you're not even willing, or you won't even try, or you won't ask God to help you, then what are you doing? You know, that we have to ask ourselves those hard questions. And Lent is a good time to ask some hard questions about ourselves.
0: It's a good time to pray that the Lord might give you the strength, the courage to forgive those that you feel that you can't forgive. Work on it during Lent. Let's take a look, Archbishop, at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Sam from West Hartford says... My wife is Catholic, and I am Protestant. We were married in a Catholic church, and we raised our children as Catholic, including Catholic schools. We attend our Catholic parish regularly. I respect the rules of the Catholic church regarding my not being allowed to receive communion as a non-Catholic. I'd like to attend the Ash Wednesday service with my wife, but wonder if a person must be a Catholic to receive the ashes. Is the rule of receiving ashes the same as the rule about the sacraments?
1: no it's not it's not the same, and I would have no problem with that if you if you're a baptized person if you well really if any it's not like we're committing some uh some wrong uh in by any means in uh conferring that on you I would be curious and I can, of course you can't answer this but with all your fidelity to the to uh Seeing that that the, the, your your family has been in the Catholic faith, if you've ever considered being received into the Church yourself, we certainly respect your conscience, and perhaps you have your own reasons why that's not the case. But I I really want to commend you for uh, for your for keeping your word and for doing all these things.
0: Joe from North Canaan says, "If I make a Lenten resolution, such as fasting." Am I obligated to keep it on Sundays? Some people say that a resolution must be kept every day of Lent, while others say it is not an obligation on Sunday. Who's right?
1: Well, strictly speaking, when you're talking about the rules of fasting, uh, yeah, Sunday is always a day of resurrection. Sunday is not, n- has never been, in, even in the strictest monastic communities, uh, you don't fast on the Lord's Day, which is a, a commemoration of Easter. But... Having said that, you know, there's only 40 days of Lent, and if a person decides to uh, just keep their resolution through all 40 days, including Sunday, that's very commendable too. But Mm -hmm. but strictly speaking, on a Sunday, uh, that would not be the case.
0: Ashley from Morris says, I recently read a book on the life of Mother Angelica, and she was an amazing woman. She not only started the Eternal Word Television Network, EWTN, but she had a radio station as well. I am sure that her strong faith, humor, and common sense have touched many people. Would it be wrong of me to ask for her prayers if she has not been declared blessed by the Church? Has the Church ever considered Mother Angelica for
1: sainthood? Oh, I'm sure there are those who think uh, very highly of uh, her example and what she did and and would uh, press for that. Uh, that's something that's part of the piety of people, and I don't know where that might go or not not go, but certainly uh if uh you have uh, a devotion to a person whose life was very exemplary and living the faith, and you in your not not public because public devotion is another matter, but in your private devotion you you would feel that you could ask her to pray for for you from her place in eternity i I see nothing wrong with that. But you just have to be careful that, that, you know, at this point, it's a very private thing.
0: And couldn't you also say the same of, let's say, our parents were specifically religious, and you're pretty much convinced that they are with the Lord in his kingdom now. Couldn't you pray for the intercession of your parents for aid?
1: I think you could, certainly.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Heavenly Father, once again this year, you give us the grace of Lent and you invite us to repent and believe. You invite us to purify our hearts, uh, to prepare for the great mysteries of Christ dying and rising during Holy Week and Easter. And we pray that, that by your grace, this Lent will not pass us by, that we will persevere in doing the discipline of Lent of fasting, prayer, and charity so that we may grow in grace and one day pass from the Lent of this life to the glorious Easter of life forever in heaven. And we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. Until then, we will contemplate what we're all going to be doing in terms of our Lenten sacrifice. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.